Welcome everybody into the valley. I am Ethan Shutt and I am joined as always by my man Philip Russell. We are missing a third of the trifecta as Ryan is traveling for work, but Philip and I are going to hold it down for you. And we are recording this Sunday night in the midst of a blowout. We thought about waiting until the game ended, but given that it was like a 35 point lead with eight minutes to go and the sun seemed to be putting in the Ish Wainwrights, if you will, of the roster. We thought it was all right to go ahead and get started. But we want to go ahead and start by saying we appreciate you listening. We appreciate you joining us. Uh, make sure to check out the Bright Side Podcast Network where we have found our home. We think you'll find some great stuff there. Check out the website as well for some good written content. Um, but without much uh, much else to talk about, we've got a pretty busy week of basketball to cover, Philip. Uh it wasn't it wasn't perfect. We had a loss, but we look at the slate of games from the last time we recorded, which speaking of last time recorded, Philip, how much fun was our last episode? It was great. By the end, I feel like I was pretty hungry because we went for almost two hours. Right. But it was, <laughs> but but my my soul was fed and my basketball nerddom was fed as well. Yeah. I just want to make a mention. Our last episode was kind of a, a one-off. We had uh, a guest on. David Nash, we did a mailbag, and so usually our episodes kind of have an expiration date to some extent. Uh, we keep it current. We talk about the week in Suns basketball, but our last episode, all hour and 45 of it, so again, have fun with that. We kind of just covered the season outlook as a whole, what the playoffs could look like, what the offseason could look like. So if you are just looking for more Suns content after this week of basketball, feel free to check that one out. And again, this week, if you are new, here's a little bit more of our norm covering the week in review, talking about what's to come. But Philip, we had a busy week. Uh, I feel like we had a couple weeks recently where we had maybe just two games. We had a full slate from last recording to this recording. We recorded right at the tail end of the Bucks game uh, last week. And then we had the Magic. We had the Heat. We had the Raptors. And then tonight we had LeBron. I'm sorry. We had the Lakers. And just looking as a whole, looks like barring a miraculous comeback that I cannot imagine what the odds would be. It looks like the Suns are going to go three and one this week uh, with lots of wins on against the Eastern Conference, which still good, not as great as it could be getting some wins in the West. And then a good win against the nine seed Lakers, I think maybe nine or ten. Anything really jumping out to you kind of just first things first as, as you look at this week in review? If if Anthony Davis was healthy tonight, how different do you think this game would have been? Goodness, man. What look, I don't I don't know if the team got a, a word of that dumb quote right before the game, and that's what motivated them to just whoop the pants off the Lakers. But goodness, great timing. I honestly thought many, many times watching this game, I was like, this team, this team doesn't scare me. Even if they're even with AD, the team does not scare me at all. Yeah, and I mean, right away tonight, there was there was a shot early on one of the first few possessions from Mikhail, and he was wide open for three, and LeBron was maybe five feet away from him mm-hmm. and stood there with his arms down and didn't take a step towards Mikhail. And you know what so he did that- after it went in. <laughs> Well, no, Mikhail missed this one. This oh, one that oh, I'm thinking this is of. early, early. This is like first, yes, okay. first few possessions. And I watched that play and I just went, hmm, 
But then that that was the pattern that was for the, the majority the of the, the first quarter. Yeah, the the Lakers were just laughably bad in in the first quarter. And there's not there's not a lot to say about this game. I mean, <laughs> here are the first quarter notes that I wrote down. Nice start from DA because he had eight really quick. LeBron's closeouts are non-existent and then Booker is really hot. And then after that, there were, there were moments where it was like, Oh, the Lakers look competent, but that's a, that's a really bad sign for a team. If, if we're watching the game carefully and going, Hey, you had, you had like two or three times this game where you guys look like a decent basketball team. Yeah. I, I was watching with a buddy of mine who's from California. He is a Suns fan because he loves me. But uh, watched a lot of Lakers basketball, and he made the comment. He goes, "I know I'm not a basketball guy. I know I don't. I don't watch it and talk about it like you and Philip." He's like, "But it is laughably bad. How bad the Lakers look on offense and defense." And he was just he was commenting on watching the ball movement of the Suns on offense versus the stagnant nature of the Lakers on offense, and then defensively. Just it was just a lack of willingness, it seemed like, right? Like it didn't look like scheme or anything. It looked like a team that wasn't closing out on open shooters. I mean, book book got hot early because they were letting them get hot early. And that's a dumb thing to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, right now, two minutes left in the fourth quarter. Um, for those that maybe aren't able to catch it, we might not have a we'll probably have a final by the time we're done talking. Uh, but book looks like he checked out after 32 minutes. 30 points, 10 assists. That's wonderful. Uh, and Aiton looks like he's going to finish with 23 and 16 on 11 of 14 shooting. And not to say those numbers aren't repeatable, but I think when you look at the efficiency of the scoring across the board, I mean, Mikhail was 8 of 13 as well. JaVale was 4 of 4. Torrey was 4 of 7. Like You can look down the list. Uh, it, it's hard for this, someone to be that efficient, especially around the rim unless it's a lot of open shots or a lot of just lack of a hustle, but man, the Lakers looked, I mean, it was abysmal. Yeah. And one of the reasons we're stuck on this listeners is we, we had an intention to come here and do a little bit of a reaction podcast to the Lakers game, because you think Suns Lakers, the game around Christmas was a thrashing. So we thought maybe tonight will be, will be different. So we're having, we're having to pivot the plans just a little bit because it was it was out of hand from the beginning and the, the Lakers never really clawed back at all. It was tough. I mean, it was, it's one of those things. And I guess I'll, I'll turn this to you. We talked at length. I mean, I think everything we talked about at length in our last episode was very at length, but we joked about playoff matchups, who we are scared of, who we're not. I look at the Lakers team, how they're constructed and how they're playing. If I were a Lakers fan, it would take a whole lot of optimism for me to think that something would change even with Anthony Davis back. Right. I mean, it, the way they're constructed around LeBron and AD is really tough to watch. Uh, and I made a comment earlier now, Jalen Smith, maybe was a hit, maybe was a miss. Right. But I feel like the Suns have done a pretty good job at being talent evaluators, bringing guys in cheap, that have overperformed or outperformed expectations. Cam Johnson's a great example of someone who they were right on. Mikhail, obviously, making the trade for that. And I just can't stop but looking back at the Lakers offseason where Taylor Horton Tucker was the reason they weren't willing to make trades 
that were absolutely better than what they settled on in the Russell Westbrook trade. I mean, that is, that's got to sting. Like that's get you fired misappropriation of information type thing, right? Like, it, are you, are you shocked? Cause I am legitimately looking at, I don't know. I just always think that LeBron and, and crew will claw back, especially with how well he's playing, but this team that is around him, I mean, it brings back like booby Gibson type calves vibes. We are like, how did we get here? Right. Like it's, that's tough. Yeah. So we were, we were in an Xbox party while we watched the game, just so we could talk back and forth as it was going on. And there, there was one play where Reeves passed the ball. And I think he might've kicked it back to the top of the key or he dumped it into the post. And then all of a sudden there are just three guys from the Lakers on the same side of the court. And their reaction is to just stand there, stand and watch. No one's screening away. No one's cutting. No one's going for a DHO. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. And I know that's a criticism of LeBron teams in the past that it is so heliocentric around LeBron that the rest of the guys don't know what to do or can't do much. But one of the problems with this Lakers team is name the the knockdown shooter who he's going to surround himself with. And if you say, oh, it's going to be Malik Monk, it's like, okay, we can get out the Rolodex of Malik Monk problems on the defensive end. Like he couldn't, he couldn't properly zone up tonight when, when the Lakers doubled Booker at half court. So they have, they have roster problems. And on a night like tonight, Anthony Davis can't make up for the mm-hmm. disparity between between the teams. I'm just I'm settled that the Suns are just so far better than the Lakers that I would not be worried going into a series with the Lakers. For sure. And like you said, our 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 goal initially uh for those listening was to talk more about this game, but look, we could spend 30 minutes talking about a, a butt beating. Uh, and that's great, but I don't think that we're going to teach you all anything new. You're not going to hear something that you probably didn't see already. So we're going to pivot a bit and kind of, I just want to recap the week. Uh, as I say that, by the way, the game is final Suns 140 Lakers 111. So it looks like uh goodness. That's a, that's a, that's a tough beating, but anyway, I uh, just want to recap the week. The Suns started this week at Orlando winning 102 99. The play of the game, the highlight that will be remembered, Mikhail Bridges, one of his most impressive defensive plays in memory, having a game-saving block on a three-point attempt to tie it as time expired or sure close to it. A weird game for sure, uh, just in terms of one that shouldn't have been that close at the end, playing a team that you don't want to have to expend that much energy on. But we've talked about it before. Good teams at least win ugly games. And I think they were able to do that. Uh, Followed it up with, in my opinion, what I anticipated to be the game of the week. Playing against Miami. If you remember, the Suns haven't lost many games this season. But one they did lose was a thrashing to the heat. Uh, And it's not a thrashing like they lose by 40. But it was a defensively, the Suns did not look like the Suns. Uh, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, and crew just kind of went off. And it was a game where we kind of kind of jotted it down and said, is this, is this a problem? Is this something to be concerned about? Or is this just an outlier? And this game started similarly. Heat came out hot from three 
it gave me flashbacks. I was worried to see what happened. And the Suns ended up putting together one of the best halves of basketball I've seen all year. I know we're going to touch on that later. I know I at least have it on my list of things to talk about in our highs, lows, and just so you knows. But the Suns won 111 to 90 against the Heat. And then, unfortunately, weren't able to keep the winning streak going, dropping a game to Toronto, 117 to 112. In a tough game, Philip, we were able to watch it together. Actually had my family over too. We had a good little group watching. A tough loss, but one of those losses that you're with how everything went, you're happy that it was close. You happy, you're happy to see some resilience down the stretch. But the Suns dropped that one leading into their absolute thrashing of the Lakers tonight. So three and one on the week. Uh, an ugly win against a bad team, a good win against a good team. The Raptors are tough, man. I know that they're not the talk of the town in the East, but they still, I mean, they've got talent, they've got all-stars, they've got a lot of pieces there. And they had someone just go straight nuclear on us. And then tonight, I don't know how much more needs to be said, but taking care of the Lakers. So before we kind of get into our, you know, highs, lows, just so you know, is what jumps out. As you're looking at the games this week, besides the Lakers, anything really stand out to you? Because, again, I thought the Heat game was going to be the game to watch. And in terms of how all three of those games ended, I would not have predicted any of them to go they would, the way they did. So every one for me was an enjoyable rewatch. I felt like I learned a lot watching them back without the fan goggles on. Uh, but I'm curious kind of what you were thinking. So I have two things about DA from this week. Number one is I think his, his patience has been really nice on the offensive end. One of the, one of the problems with, with a young big is when they get the ball right around the elbow, they might be indecisive to the point where they don't know exactly what to do yet. Simultaneously, when they get the ball at the elbow, you also want them to wait for half a second, a second to see if there's anybody cutting to see if anybody's getting open on the wing to see if any defenders are crashing down. I think DA is finding a really good spot when he gets to the elbow of turning quick at his man, assessing what's happening in the corners and then making his decision, usually being a kick out to the corner or a shot. I was just really impressed. I think he's maturing before our eyes. And that is, that is a really good sign when he can, especially if teams are going to blitz and the Suns can get the ball, to DA right around the elbow or the set that starts with a bounce pass into the elbow. If he can get good position on that entry pass, it's, it's a quick set that they can run to potentially get him an open 10 to 15 footer. The other thing about DA this week deals with the Toronto game. Toronto showed one of the potential problems that the Suns will have in a playoff series. A team like the Raptors, or you can also insert someone like the Nuggets, maybe the Warriors with certain lineups that they roll out. Teams that will be able to pull DA away from the basket Mm -hmm. where he's going to have to respect his offensive players shooting ability are a problem for the Suns specifically on the glass. When DA is getting pulled out to the corner or he's getting pulled to the top of the key or getting pulled to the wing, the Suns did not rebound as well as they could have that game. Hopefully that's something that they can rectify in, in a series where you see more of a focus from guys like Mikhail, Devin, whatever other point guards might be in. 
at that point. But that that is going to be something to watch. He is such a capable rebounder. How do the Suns change that up and change up their their focus on the glass when he's getting pulled out away from the basket? Yeah, and talking about DA and rebounding, I also thought we saw a good bit of self-awareness potentially with DA. Uh, I don't think he was abysmal on the boards recently, right? I think he's been good and I think he's been better, but having, having that moment, I think it was earlier in the week when he kind of went through the interview of just saying like, Hey, I need to, I need to be better. Right. Not a, I need more touches, not a, I need to dominate. I need to impose my will. Like our team as a whole does better when I'm doing a better job on the boards, getting that rebound, preventing second chance opportunities. And and going back to what you said, it's just those little growing up moments, right? Like I, I used to watch a lot of the post-game pressers and a lot of early career DA was a lot of, man, I've just got to go out there and dominate. I've got to go out there and be big. And it's just a lot of kind of like those empty words of, I can just do more. And I thought his maturity has just really been on display this week. And he's just taking care of business. Like on the court, he is taking care of business and played well. And I want to give him love when he does that because that, elevates the entire team one thing i didn't mention as i kind of recapped the week was this week started without booker and paul like this week was a no paul booker and cam johnson at times week for the suns and so to end three and one for the week i think that's impressive uh and one thing too that i i really wanted to talk about was how the suns were able to just I guess just show such great composure without those three guys. Uh, Campaign stepped up big time. Campaign, he's got his issues. We can nitpick about some of his offensive decision-making. But as a whole, he held it down. Landry Shamit, who's gotten more crap than he deserves, and luckily Sun's Twitter, I think, is starting to eat some crow on that. Like, he showed out. And one one of my favorite stats for the week uh, I know I wrote it down somewhere because I, I think I heard it on a broadcast or maybe saw a tweet. Yeah, here it is. So in the three starts where campaign started alongside Landry Shamit with Paul and Booker out, Payne had 58 points, 36 assists. And in the postgame presser in two of those three games, he took the time to say how playing next to Landry Shamit has allowed him to play the way he's playing. And I love that. Like I love seeing more relationships and connections and chemistry develop outside of the guys we're usually focused on. And that's great. Like those are, those are great things to find as we continue down, right? Because Chris Paul's going to come back and that second unit now, which used to be the Cam Johnson and others unit is starting to have some other guys in that five through 10, six through 10, whatever spots starting to show some extra promise, maybe a little more potential, uh, and that I think is is my takeaway from the week is the depth is there. We knew that they can take care of business, even if they've not touched the court in five games. I mean, look at Biombo coming in and having some of the biggest minutes in the end of that Raptors game, which I think we'll probably touch on too. But our guys look like they're staying ready and have continued to show out. I think this was a, a, a huge week, just in terms of what the alternative could have been. Right, like. Most weeks, you expect the Suns to go 3-0, 4-0, maybe drop a close one to a good team. This week had a lot of question marks going into it. 
I didn't try to set high expectations because I never knew what it would be, but I'm incredibly proud of this team. I love, I love the win over the Lakers taking care of business. Uh, but again, as a whole, I thought it was good. We saw a lot from a lot of guys and, uh, I'm just happy. I think a lot of dudes who needed some good games, had some good games, DA included, uh, Cam Johnson gets some rest. I think he's still recuperating from annihilating the Knicks. So rest easy, bud. Uh, but before we get into our, uh, our, I guess, individual highlights of the week, anything else you wanted to touch on before we hopped in there? No, let's get into it. All right. Well, if you're new here, buckle up. If you're returning, you know what's next. Here at Into the Valley, we like to end our episodes with our highs, our lows, and our just so you knows in Phoenix Suns basketball. And with that, Philip, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you bat lead off as we celebrate baseball coming back here. Our highs in Phoenix Suns basketball for the week. What you got? I'm actually kind of glad Ryan isn't here this week so we can have a reasonable discussion about campaign. <laughs> <laughs> it's our for, He'll never for listen. You, he won't listen to this episode. He won't hear yeah, you say that anyway. For those of you who are for those of you who are new listeners, Ryan adores campaign for a long time and maybe even still his Twitter bio was this is a campaign stan account yep. or something of the sort. So I just want to talk about campaign a little bit. Uh, let me say up front. I'm in a weird way. I'm really proud of campaign. I think he's done a really nice job since CP three has been out for the most part. Some of my hesitancy about campaign comes from projecting a doomsday scenario to CP three, not being back in campaign, having to be the starting point guard in a series, but I'll get to that in just a second. Here's what I like about campaign at point his playmaking. He is averaging, so these are the five games prior to tonight's Lakers games, which he did this again tonight. He is averaging 10 assists to three turnovers the last five games. That's awesome. Anything above, I mean, above a two assist to turnover ratio, okay. Above a three, that is really good. Now, here's, here's something in addition to that. He is averaging in those five games, 17.8 potential assist per game, which means he is passing into a shot 17.8 times per game. Chris Paul on this season averages 19.4. CP3 is averaging a little over 10 assists per game, and he's averaging a little over the 17.8 potential assists that campaign is dishing out the suns from a shot perspective aren't missing as much as i thought they might from cp3 now there are other parts of the game where i think the suns are missing cp3 in a bad way but as far as the playmaking has been concerned i've been really impressed with with campaign now here's what i'm worried about he stresses me out during crunch time, man. Like his, some of his late game decision makings throw me for a loop. Let's go back to the Knicks game. Oh, we got prior, we got prior out. Yes. Prior to the shot of the season, prior to the shot of the season, the Suns ran, they ran their set and they ran it to perfection. They ran snap, which is a Spain pick and roll. Campaign came right off the pick and roll, 
Cam Johnson set a back screen. Two defenders went. I'm pretty sure it was DA. Cam Johnson pops out. He is wide open for three. And he was scorching hot at this point. The problem was before Cam Johnson could get to the top of the key, Cam Payne had already driven his defender and put up a wild shot, missed, got fouled. We know the rest of that story. That can't happen from your starting point guard. You have a dude who is going scorched earth and you don't have the patience to wait for the play to develop. Like there was plenty of time left in that instance. And then against Orlando, he, he wound up making several really good plays down the stretch, but even with the suns up, the suns were up by one and there was a minute less than a minute left. And cam took a mid range jumper with 14 seconds left on the shot clock. It's like, homie, run some time off, please. But then, but then to the point of it being a mixed bag, the nail in the coffin, essentially to get the suns up three and they never relinquished it was a great pick and roll where he made a great pass to DA for a dunk that put the Suns up three. So all that to say, where, where exactly am I on, on campaign? I think Cam is poised to do exactly what the Suns need him to do so long as CP3 comes back from his injury. Being somewhat emotionally invested in the Suns now, I I don't want campaign out on the floor with the game on the line. It's just a mixed bag at this point. And the Suns have hung their hat all season on these crisp sets that get the ball exactly where it needs to go. Cam hasn't shown that consistently enough this, this season, but, but if he's backing up CP three, He's poised to do that exceptionally well, like he did last postseason and like he did prior to Chris Paul's injury to some extent. What campaign needs to do is he needs to make sure like he is right now that he is a very real scoring threat from three, that his floater is consistent enough that it has to be respected. And when he does that, when he does that, it is going to open up the lane for the bigs to get good looks at the rim, or it's going to open up easier passing lanes out to the wing for, for threes from Jay McHale, Cam Johnson, when he gets back from injury. So here's what I'm saying. I am extremely high on campaign as the sun's backup point guard. And I'm really proud of him kind of stepping in to fill in that, that whole while Chris Paul has been injured. You've heard me have this rant before. And I think the listeners have too, to some extent. I think what makes campaign a good backup point guard and what makes him good versus other point guards is what leads to a big weakness of his at the position. Other point guards facilitate first or later, or when they drive or they look to create space, it is to create space for others to get movement where movement is needed and to facilitate first campaign drives to score. If that's not there, he dishes it, he dumps it, he gets fouled or throws up something crazy, right? 
that is a mindset thing. And I think this is, I, I hate, ugh, I don't like using stats that I don't feel 100% confident tell the whole story, but I think this at least gives a tiny idea. In terms of minutes per game as he's replaced Chris Paul, he is very similar. As you've said, facilitating, he's still getting a lot of those numbers. But the pain points for me are coming down, again, oversimplification, field goal attempts per game. So his last, I'm not really going to count the first game. He played 20 minutes. The last five games, I think five, um, not counting tonight's game, but I've gone and checked those. Against Toronto, 18 shots. Against Miami, 13 shots. Against Orlando, 16 shots. Milwaukee, 19 shots. Knicks, 16 shots. That's a lot from a guy who is not an efficient scorer, just in general. And the problem is that works if maybe you're getting to the line a lot, but he's looking at like two to four attempts per game. Uh, in a, a very rough Miami game for him, four of 13, just in terms of scoring here, uh, three of eight from three, no field goal or free throw attempts. That's just, that's just not it, right? We've talked about his success in the past, mainly the playoffs where he where he shined in moments. It was by being kind of that quick burst scoring threat, right? Like that is where he had found success. And so it's like his mentality is still that, but now he's supposed to be the starting point guard and filling in for Chris Paul. And so it is interesting, right? In terms of facilitating and statistically speaking, He's doing a great job getting opportunities for other people. I think if he made the right read or the right decision, those numbers would go even higher as his, his poor shooting would, would go down as well, right? If he takes the right shots, his efficiency goes up and opportunities for others goes down. So I, I agree. I think he has done a phenomenal job stepping in for one of the best point guards of all time. So I don't want that to get missed. But to your point, what we have seen, even with the great assist to turnover numbers, would be a detriment to the team in the playoffs, right? Like if you told, if I told you that campaign put up 16 or 19 shots in a playoff game and was shooting 32% or something like that, yikes. You can't have a miss like that from your starting point guard. So I know this high has gone high, low, somewhere in the middle, and then high again, hopefully. It, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, I think. We've talked about this. I think Holiday continues to look good and show that he was absolutely worth the decision. Uh, and he is a dude that I think looks to facilitate first when he drives to create space and kind of probes inside a, a magic word that gets used when describing Chris Paul's offensive style a lot. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how that develops over the next few years, let alone just this season. Um, my high for the week, and I'm not going to belabor, we talked plenty here. I was just really happy that Landry Shamit seems to be getting it figured out. I really liked Landry Shamit. I liked him a lot in college. He seems like just a genuinely good person. Monty has raved about him. And he's a dude that we all know is a good shooter. And it's tough when a guy who's a good shooter, who's always in the right place, who's defensively working his butt off, doing all the right things, just isn't hitting by, I mean, inches, man. We've joked how many shots look like they should be good yet aren't there. Like it's not like a McHale shooting slump early on where we're like, 
man, something, something needs to change, right? Something's, something's off here. Landry looks good. His shooting form looks now just like it did a couple weeks ago. But for whatever reason, it looks like he's got his confidence back. It's great to see him have these opportunities. I think the increased minutes is a huge part of it. We've talked before. It's hard as a dude who's expected to come in and shoot threes to come in for a four or five minute stretch, miss the first two, and then be a little scared to shoot that third. He's been able to kind of find his rhythm, get a groove, feel like he belongs, I think, and good things are coming from it. And that's something I think is huge come playoff time because I'm still firmly planting my flag in the Landry will play important playoff minutes camp. Uh, And I think this week has just continued to solidify that. And I'm, again, just getting that much more excited about what the bench unit for the Suns can do as they've been able to kind of grow together through all the injuries that we've seen. When we've got three of our bench unit now starting, even though it is different, you can see those connections there. And again, Cam Johnson, I'm very, very happy to have him back when that happens. Uh, But it's just building my confidence up come playoff time where every single minute is so important. Obviously, the Suns have one of the best starting five in the league. I mean, I think in terms of every metric, they continue to impress. But it's great seeing a lot being added from the bench. I liked getting to see Bismack. Obviously, he was in the in the news a lot this week, um, pledging his salary, uh, entire contract to building a hospital back home. I love the guy. Just, again, the Suns have a lot of good guys, a lot of good storylines. Tough loss to the Raptors, but overall, I just thought it was a real positive week. But I thought Landry, Landry warranted the shout out there. Uh, anything you got on Landry, anything you want to add to campaign before we move to our uh, actual topic where we'd be negative about things? No, I, I think we covered Landry a good bit last week with David, just noting that he has, he has been playing a good brand of basketball. And when he got on the court more consistently, the last five games or so, the shots started falling, which you can just say he had the time to get himself established and get into a rhythm, which good on him. Good on him. Long time coming. Yep. No, for sure. Uh, I just like the guy. I want him to succeed, especially with, with the contract. You've got a guy locked in. It'd be silly not to wish, wish the best for the kid, whether it's trade value or on the court value. Um, but no, we move on. We cover our highs. We move to our lows. That's, that's how life works here at Into the Valley. Sometimes it's uh, not always fun, but it's what keeps us honest. My low for the week, and ah, I'm trying to not get myself in trouble here because I know we already touched on it, but my low in in general would just be some offensive decision-making in clutch time without Chris Paul. And I'm going to keep it broad because I don't want to name call here and I don't want to make anyone feel like I'm putting all of it on them. But my low is I think we really need Chris Paul to get healthy. That's my very simple version of it. The end of the Raptors game, the Sun should have won. I, I, I watched it again without the, are we going to win or lose? I just watched it and said, given the opportunities, given the late run, because I mean, I think they were down 13 or 14 going into the fourth, went on a massive like 18-2 runners. Like 
they had momentum. They had opportunities. I think book missed two threes in the last minute. There was a couple poor decision-making under the back. Like, there was a lot. And it just freaked me out thinking, crap, I really hope we don't have to deal with this come playoff time. Right. Uh, and again, I think there were poor decisions from multiple players. It's not on one, but Chris Paul's value cannot be understated. And the Suns got all of that love about how successful they are in clutch time for a reason. And I don't think it's just because of Devin Booker, even though statistically his numbers in clutch time are great. I think it shows how important Chris Paul is when you see how do the Suns close a close game when he's not there. So that was me tiptoeing to not upset people. But I think that's, that's how I felt after watching that game again. I'll do it. It was Devin Booker in campaign. You are correct. Booker, <laughs> Booker messed up terribly. Yep. Suns are up two. campaign shoots a three and misses basketball one-on-one. I mean, this is like, this is middle school stuff right here. If someone is shooting on the, let's say the left wing, which whoever it is at the top of the key or at the right wing, you have to get, get back. back. It's called a get back guard. On that play, it was Devin Booker, and he just didn't move. That tied the game. The next play, campaign with just an awful entry pass, looking like he didn't know if he was going to pass or not. The next possession, Booker drove hard left, takes multiple steps, jumps as he's leaping out of bounds and attempts a wraparound pass back to the right corner. There's only one place that ball can go. Turnover, bucket. All of a sudden, all of a sudden you're down by four. And then Mikhail mishandled the pass. And all of a sudden you're down by six. So it was a cascade, particularly from Cam and Devin in that game, which which I think it's also fair to say that was rare and it was rare enough that that was a confusing ending to the game where we were, like you said, we were together and I was sitting there going, what are they doing? Because it was so it, out of, character. it was like the wheels just straight fell off yeah. and, they didn't, and they couldn't yeah. figure out how to get it back on track. And it was again, way out of character an outlier of an end game. And I don't think there's too much of a deal to make about that game in in particular, at least when it comes to those those clutch minutes. But yeah, just a, a confounding ending to that one. Yeah. It, That's not my load. Do I get to go in on other You absolutely now? still get to right, go. Lit. I just I just know we've had a, a few fan bases be a little vocal about us critiquing them. And Payne and Booker just it just startled me. Like that was a game again. I I rewatched that and I was like. They should have won. I remember in the moment thinking, we should be winning this game. And then watching it back, it was so obvious of, yikes, there were four, mis- I mean, four mistakes, offensive and defensive, consecutively. Tell me the last time you saw that in a Suns game. That was tough. But yes, go ahead, sir. I'll stop. All right, so this was this was prior to tonight's game. JaVale had a really good night tonight. So if you look up these stats on NBA.com, they're going to be updated But prior to the Lakers game, going back the previous five games, JaVale was shooting 44% from the field in 
over the last five games. Now you might hear 44% and be like, that's not too bad. Is it? It is when you're for a a seven foot center who dropped the ball in the hoop for a guard. It's not terrible. It's not great for a big it's we'll leave it at this. It's not good enough. I'm glad he had a better game tonight. I'm glad he turned it around a little bit, but more of my concern with JaVale was him defensively and specifically him defensively against Miami and Orlando. JaVale's closeouts, which a closeout, if you're not familiar, let's say they're running a pick and instead of a pick and roll, there's a pick and pop and the big goes out to the top of the key, steps out behind the three-point line the defending big man has to close that space and contest the shot. So that's a closeout. He's, he's so bad. He is really it, bad it's, at it's, closing out. It's odd how he's so athletic, but only in one area. Does that make he's, sense? I don't think he's very quick. Correct. I, he's athletic vertically. He's not athletic horizontally. Yeah. So again, this is, we got a nitpick when the Suns are again after tonight. They're 40 games above 500. I'm wondering if a team can stretch the floor in the playoffs, if we're going to start to see Monty say, okay, if they're playing rim runners with their second unit, JaVale's going to be in there because he can contest rim running really well. And the Suns seem to be really comfortable with JaVale rim running on the offensive end. But if they're going to face a team that can stretch the Suns out, that might be where Biombo gets, gets his mm-hmm. run in the playoffs. It doesn't matter what kind of offense gets run. DA is going to get, obviously going to get the substantial number of minutes. And you're comfortable with DA playing against pretty much any kind of offense. But again, when it comes to that second unit, I think there's a chance we see Biombo and McGee flipping back and forth dependent on the series. No, I think, I think you're right. It's, it's weird. It, at first, I thought it was like he wanted whoever, let's just say in general, I'm not saying on closeouts. It was like he wanted the offensive player to get that half step on him so he can attack from behind because like that's where he's comfortable getting the blocks and contesting. And you know, you don't have to stay in front of him and stay vertical if you let him get that half step. And at first, I thought it was intentional until I watched him get burned. And I was like, oh, maybe he just can't keep up with them. And that's the conclusion I think I'm uh, I'm I'm ending with here. And and you you described something earlier this week when we were watching together. It was like Biombo and Javale are two very very different players, and Da is a beautiful hybrid of both. And so I think it makes sense that there could be games where it's just Da and pick one, and that's that's the center for that series. I think David even might have mentioned that as we were looking at playoff matchups. Uh, but yeah. Is good for JaVale to have a good night tonight, but it was also going against a team that didn't have a center playing the entire night, if that's correct. I mean, I can't, I mean, I think Dwight technically did. Sorry, Dwight. I don't mean to completely wipe you away like the NBA 75 did, but in general, there wasn't much there, right? So, no, I think, I think that's fair. Um, I, I want to go ahead and move on to my just so you know. It, I was weighing how in the weeds I want to get about this, but I want to keep it general because I just think it's, it's a good thing to see. If you have the ability to go back and watch games previously, whether you have them recorded, whether you go on NBA.com, whatever, 
if you could go back and watch the second half of the Miami Heat game, you will watch some of the best Phoenix Suns defense that I have ever seen in my entire life. And that is not an exaggeration. That is legit. I've been watching Suns games for the last almost 20 years now. It was incredible to see the Eastern Conference one seed looking so shell-shocked for an entire half of basketball. Going into halftime, I think it was a two-point game. I think. Let me, let me pull that up real quick. Yeah, two-point game at half. The Heat were held to 19 points in the third quarter and 16 points in the fourth quarter. And it was not because they just got cold. It was because they were being hounded. And I don't remember. I saw someone tweet it, and it was completely spot on on my rewatch. In the third quarter, if anyone caught the ball within 12 feet of the hoop, it was like the little kid playing against the big kid, and he was just kind of scared to shoot. So it was either throw it something super quick or just second guess yourself into making a bad decision. And the Suns just came out. Like it wasn't one dude. It was an entire team effort of, Hard switches, tough closeouts, good vertical defense. Like it was just good. That was that defense will stop anyone in the playoffs. Good. And that was really good for me to watch, given that we could see the heat again in the playoffs down at the end of a potential road there. But also because the Heat are a talented team who've given the Suns trouble earlier in the year and started the game really hot. Like, it wasn't like it was an off night for them. Like, they started hot, and the Suns came out of halftime and just showed out. And it was great. Uh, I loved it. Again, if you can go rewatch it, I'd encourage you to do so. It is fun. It was fun. I texted Philip because I knew he was going to be watching later, and I was like, get ready for that third quarter, man, because it is just some hard nose. And what I love too, it was like that that Miami Heat style basketball that they always joke about, right? Like this gritty Pat Riley vibe that everyone in Miami has to have. The Suns just stuck it to them, and it was great. Uh, and on top of it, that win, which this is crazy, has clinched a playoff spot. So the Suns are the first team, the little X next to their name in the standings. Uh, we talked, I think, a week or two ago. They clinched at least a play-in game. They are now clinched for the playoffs, which is absolutely bananas. So there's another. Bonus, just so you know, if you didn't already. Uh, but man, that game was fun. Like, I, I loved it. I love watching teams just go hard on defense. And I got a lot of that, which was fun. I enjoyed it very much. Tonight, I didn't really need that because the Lakers don't move. And it's pretty easy to guard statues. So you don't get that. You don't get the extra jukes from watching good defensive basketball in a game like tonight. So I was, in, I was happy to see it then. But Philip, round it out for us. Close it out. Just so you know for the week. One of the fun things about playoff basketball is that everybody knows the sets that people run. You don't get surprised usually when it comes to playoff basketball and really good teams and really intelligent teams aren't surprised even in the regular season by the sets that certain teams run. The Suns right now are in a part of the season where they're actively experimenting with how to hide some of their better known sets. I just want to talk about one, and I'm not even going to talk about how they're hiding it because that gets into the weeds, but we know about snap, which is the Spain pick and roll. So this is where one of the Suns guards will get a screen from DA 
And then as that guard starts the drive towards the basket, another guard will come up and set a back screen on the bigs defender and then pop out for three as the, the big rolls off of that rim runs off of that back screen that's bread and butter for the suns that is an incredibly effective play especially when the three are cp3 da and booker the suns are getting very creative in how they're getting into that particular set even with cp3 out so i want to encourage listeners to watch for that particular set and watch how the Suns are introducing that because it's not as simple now as walking the ball up the court straight into that pick and roll that starts the the Spain action, the snap action, however you want to categorize it. But Monty is tweaking, and some of those tweaks are going to come into play in the playoffs because he's going to what he's going to do is he's going to merge sets together where it's going to look like the Suns are going to run their elbow set. It's going to look like they're going to run the set where Mikhail comes off a little rub pick and he gets ahead of steam going to his left. But then all of a sudden, they're into that Spain action. So the just so you know is the Suns are doing some really cool stuff on the offensive end with their sets. And again, just watch for how they introduce Spain on different possessions. No, I think that's that's a great point. And that's that's one of those more in-depth things to look for. but. Uh, I don't know if if we've got any football fans here. Uh, I was able to sit in with Coach Franklin of Penn State at a coach summit, and he was making a really interesting point where he was he was looking at some of their big wins that season. He, he said, essentially on offense, we did the same two things for the entire game, but we had different motions. We had different ways of disguising it. But at the end of the day, I needed my guys to go do two things really well because I knew no one could stop them but I never wanted the defense to feel like they knew which of those two things was coming. And you see it too, like Super Bowl champ Rams, right? The most motion of anyone, you know, we can talk about all that, but it is at the end of the day, the Suns are really good at doing things that are very well curated and tailored to the personnel they have. And to Phillip's point, it's fun seeing Monty tinker and kind of plan ahead to say, Hey, I know what we need to do. How can we go about doing it in a way that looks like something different can be happening, right? Going back to the football analogy, read options, right? You want that linebacker to think that three things could happen at any moment. Adding extra potential conclusions or any decisions slows you down that 0.2 seconds that goes from a passing lane being closed out to Mikhail being open on a backdoor cut that wasn't there half a second ago. So that's that's good. That's a good note, Philip. And, and hopefully if you guys have the ability to, to look at that going into the next games, I think some of the best times to pick it out are towards the second half. Typically, first half, you kind of are able to see, hey, the Suns are doing their normal stuff. And then as the game progresses, and I guess it kind of gets a little bit more on the line, that's when you say, hey, that thing that I saw about with 20 seconds in the shot clock, I'm seeing it at 12. What happened in that eight seconds to get us to this point where something's different? So, no, I think I think that's a great point. It's always fun to have something to look forward to and, and to watch as we kind of all try to work together to get better at watching basketball and appreciating basketball, which essentially makes us enjoy what we're seeing even more. Um, but, no, I think I think it was a great week. I think it was a great week. I know we had we had some lows that might have been a little heavy, but I think as at the end of the day, a lot of players showed a lot of good stuff. Uh, looking towards next week, Philip, like I said, we've got a playoff spot clinched. 
anything you're looking at in the days to come as we continue living in this uh, Chris Paulus world for a little bit? So listeners, you might be aware that Ryan left us. The three of us live in Bowling. We lived past tense in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and Ryan ditched us. But because of his work, Ryan is going to happen to come through on Friday, which also coincides with the sun squaring off against the bulls is it the bulls it is so there's going to be a there's going to be a fun friendly little end of the valley get together hopefully at some point this weekend where we can uh chop it up watching some good basketball with our favorite teams and speaking of watching some good basketball for those of you who are into this sort of thing i hope you all enjoy your march madness to the fullest Mm -hmm. i'll probably be watching like the kings versus the knicks instead that makes me so sad but i uh i do want to say for those that are listening, there is one pretty, I'm not saying the Bulls game isn't, but there's a pretty big game on the schedule Tuesday night. I don't know what McCollum's health situation is, but the Suns do have a good game against the Pelicans this week following uh, a tough loss where McCollum kind of went super Saiyan on us. So good stuff. I mean, Pelicans, Rockets, Rockets are always just kind of interesting. Uh, Bulls, Kings, the Kings, this will be the first time the Suns are playing against the new look Kings. So good stuff. We got four games between this episode and next episode. So we'll have plenty to talk about. Uh, but for Ryan, who cannot be here and Philip, I am Ethan. This is into the Valley Phoenix Suns podcast. We out. <laughs>